Hello, listeners. Last week, we started our conversation on culturally proficient teaching and learning environments with longtime research educators and all-around wonderful genuine people, Dolores and Randy Lindsay. In this episode, we continue our conversation with another educator. Her experience as a mother helped propel her into the work of cultural proficiency and equity. Our colleague, Kate Jackson, arranged a chat with her longtime friend, Gina Carlson-Brown. So Gina, thank you so much for meeting with me here today. Uh, We go back a long ways. I think we've known each other almost 20 years. 20 years? It's hard when I'm only 25, so. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll go with with the truth, yes. We worked a little bit together back in the day on video production. You come from a background in marketing, publicity, video production. You even own a yarn shop, Bougie Boutique. But now all of a sudden, you're finding yourself um, doing what I think is such amazing, valuable work. You work with schools, districts, and private companies to provide cultural proficiency training and support. So how did you get from where you were to what you're doing? So why did you go into this work, and and why is it so important? Since getting a degree and working toward that PhD in education, I have found through just my personal experiences, through work experiences and teaching, that... Students experience microaggressions in a variety of ways. I've experienced microaggressions. And so just a lack of knowledge about others in society uh, is what started the interest in diversity work. Can you give us an example of a microaggression that you may have felt personally or that you felt in in your work with education? If people think that I belong to a certain ethnic background, they'll just make a statement. They've never really asked or said, oh, so... Maybe tell me more about your background. So they're making assumptions based on whether that's stereotypes or their limited knowledge of people's ethnic backgrounds. And so some of those things really uh, have contributed to me wanting to go into this work, not to mention the fact that my children are multiracial. And so I feel just as an advocate for them in the school system that it's important. And so that just is driving my overall desire in general to contribute to society and education uh, in this area. Can you tell us a little bit more about why it's so important that all stakeholders in education, families, school leaders, why this is such important work, why this should come to the forefront of our attention? So it has become even more apparent to me that educational environments are the perfect place to expose students and families to as many diverse experiences uh, as we can to hopefully nurture and create more tolerant citizens. Um, If we are educating 21st century learners in a global economy, then we really must educate to appreciate diversity in its many forms. We need to have the ability to have constructive conversations and generally want to create a more pluralistic environment. So these are reasons why I realized that I could make an impact with my own story, research, work experiences, and educational background uh, for my immediate communities. And I hope to make further um, impact on the critical nature of cultural proficiency and tolerance, especially in education where we've historically seen systematic inequities. Can you tell me what you are seeing? Some of the things I, th- I see are just not including 
other voices that were continuing to have mainstream voices. For example, if we don't know the historical contributions of African Americans or Latino Hispanic communities on the growth of American society, then we're leaving out a critical voice. So curriculum is really important, including other voices in that curriculum including the stories of our students and their lives and how that can add to their educational experiences. Teachers having their assumptions put to the side, recognizing you know their own power and privilege and how that plays a role in educating students. So many of our listeners, we have teachers, librarians, principals, parents who all care about their children's success in education. What can a school site do to evaluate their own cultural proficiency? And once they do that, what steps should school staff take to better support the needs of their students and of their families? First, I think that it's important for all school administrators, staff, teachers, and everyone in the organization to realize that they do play a critical role in creating equitable learning experiences for students and their families, with the ultimate impact really being on their community and in society at large. So I believe that it's critical that in order to start the evaluation process that the organization has to really truly be committed to this cultural change. It's going to take time, conversations, leadership, the courage to speak up at times, the ability to listen, and a safe space to have conversations, and a plan to actually sustain the efforts. But it takes time, and it takes intentionality to create these types of relationships with students and their families. And so hopefully this work will lead to transformation just to a more just education. I think it's interesting that you say it takes time. I think so many leaders, teachers, they don't want time. They just want it to happen. They want an immediate transition. They want to say this is something should be done and we want it to happen by the end of the year. Can you tell me a little bit more about how much time realistically you envision a school site can make this transformation? Is it months, years, decades? It's a commitment to equity and diversity, and it's ongoing. It's just our world continues to increase in diversity. It's not going away. So just as we've embraced technology, we know technology is not going away. We must constantly look for the next upgrade. The same thing has to happen with looking at equity and inclusion efforts. So I think taking a stand saying today is the new day. Today is the day that we're starting. And every day we're always keeping in mind, are we being equitable to the students that we're serving and their families? So it begins with that mindset change, which doesn't always happen easily, but it's continual. Can you tell me about the instance at your daughter's school about the Confederate flag? And Um, that was kind of an issue that might relate to what we're talking about here today. They were going over the American Revolution and the Civil War. And so I just happened to go to school that day to hear her presentation. When I got to the classroom, the teacher had the Confederate flag hanging also uh, next to the American flag. And so I really just sat there the entire time in complete disbelief that the teacher hung the Confederate flag thinking that this was okay. You know, I, I never could bring myself to writing a letter to the teacher because I had brought up several other 
uh, culturally proficient, just cultural awareness issues at the school. And it just got to the point where I thought, I, I don't know... I guess I was just so kind of angry and irritated that I didn't know if I could write a letter that would really be constructive. I know that I should still do it, but it just showed absolute, I think, insensitivity of that time period of what the Confederate flag represents. And so I realized that the teacher was teaching a lesson on a certain time in history but unless the parents, I think, should be notified that I'm going to hang this, but here I'm going to have a discussion about what this represents. But when you don't have that communication, it just seems like a blatant disregard for a time in history that is not great for a lot of people of African-American descent or, or any descent who was a part of trying to help a group of people to not be marginalized. Really disappointing that teachers think that that, that was an okay move. Um, when people question me and they think, oh, but it was just teaching a lesson, I, I pose, so if I hung a swastika, how would you feel? And it's interesting because I get a complete opposite reaction. Well, of course that wouldn't be okay to hang. So it's like, well, then why is the Confederate flag okay to hang when that symbolizes such a horrific time in our American history? What conversation did you have with your daughter after being there that day? I have not really had a conversation with my daughter about the Confederate flag at this point. And I think part of that is just developmentally, you know, she she had no idea what what that flag represents. And I just feel like developmentally, I think we're still going over our own ethnic background in our household and what that means. Um, I do know that one of her teachers read a book and she was shocked, came home pretty much almost in tears when she heard African-Americans were, were treated horribly in this book. And she was really, she's like, but I'm part African-American. I, I don't like that feeling. And so that then prompted a conversation. I mean, we have talked about our ethnic backgrounds, but I think that it's just that we haven't really maybe gone into a whole lot of detail yet. Part of that could be because age-wise, how much will she really comprehend. Um, but it's not that she hasn't not been exposed to all of our heritages in our family. Um, she has. And I think it's just such a normal thing that it, it, it's not a big deal because this is just who she is. She's part African-American, German, Irish, you know, all of these things. And we talk about it. Um, we haven't talked about every atrocity because I don't think she developmentally needs to deal with that just yet. So the flag, I think one thing that that flag added to was our reason to pull her out of the school that she was in. Mm. And unfortunately, at this point, she sees us pulling her out of that school as just taking her away from her friends mm. and not really, you know, we haven't gotten into all of the details of, you know, the, this, we want her in an environment that is tolerant. We want mm -hmm. her in an environment that can appreciate diversity and is mindful of their actions. And when things happen, they're proactive about it. I think when she gets older, we can give her more information as to why we pulled her out of the school. But, but the Confederate flag certainly, um, still is amazing. I mean, when I tell people, they, their mouths do drop. Like, how, how can someone be so insensitive? So, And w wasn't that happening right around the time when th it was part of the national conversation and they were 
taking down the flag from Capitol buildings. Right. And so that that's interesting because this happened probably about four or five months prior to that. Mm -hmm. And so I really was hoping in my mind, because I never went back to the school to just give them my thoughts on that, that gesture was maybe by them seeing this in a national scope, maybe that has, maybe that resonates with the teacher. Mm -hmm. And I hope that she doesn't do it (laughs) this school year. Um, But it, it is a reminder to me to go and maybe write that letter to let the principal know, let the teacher know that, you know, that you do need to be more mindful. Um, I think sometimes people of color go through what is what you'll hear battle fatigue. You know, it's like, oh, do I have to explain this again? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a good reason why we need to introduce more culturally relevant pedagogy, more culturally relevant uh, curriculum, so that we really start educating others about all of the contributions that people, cultures, identities have made in this country. If we don't educate students, then they think there's just this one view of society and who has made contributions to what America has become. And I think that's that's dangerous. One, it's dangerous for many people of color. Again, this is not just about a, a ethnicity or race issue. It really is about, uh, it could be ability, it could be sexual orientation, religious beliefs, um, you know, diversities that are seen, unseen. So I just think the more we can become educated on those things the better equipped we can be to have conversations with other people, right? And not be on the defensive to truly say, gosh, I don't understand something. Can you explain something to me? To have the willingness to go out and seek answers instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to believe the stereotype that I see in the news, on the on TV shows, or what, or what maybe my experience has been. Because sometimes our experiences doesn't mean that's someone else's experience. So yes, it's a it's a lesson for me as a parent that I will have to have these difficult conversations. <laughs> okay, thank you. So this is our final segment, and this is the segment we call Tomorrow, This Week, This Month. With so many changes to 21st century education and learning, and you mentioned technology, again, that's changing all the time. What advice can you give to educators to try tomorrow, to try this week, and to try this month? So tomorrow, I think we always have to remember our own power and privilege that has allowed us in the classroom in the first place and as administrators and leaders. And to realize that if it's used in the wrong way, that it can be detrimental to student success and their families. Um, Not only do we need to keep in mind our own power and privilege, but with our assumptions, our assumptions can hold certain beliefs or stereotypes about people, students, families, and their situations. And so if we're just not mindful of these assumptions, it can result in a variety of experiences, positive and negative for students. This week, I think the best advice I can give, uh, given my own experiences, as well as my research, uh, is to keep a growth mindset. It is important to consider how other people's experiences and how those experiences might be impacting their educational journey. Uh, Be willing to consider new ways of doing things in order to uh, have better school experiences and outcomes, not to accept the status quo or the notion that we've always done it like this, 
uh, because that attitude really does not lead to innovation or transformation. So this month, overall, I think we have to remember a few things, that we want to really become lifelong learners and realize that the world is always changing. Our classroom culture changes yearly and for some every semester. Therefore, we have to become flexible, comfortable in plural settings. Um, And even though it's uncomfortable, hopefully the end result is that our students and families are having positive and equitable experiences. And this is really the goal that we're after. Well, Gina, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. And it was fabulous to talk to you in this venue. I look forward to talking to you again. Yes, it's been fun chatting. Thank you, Gina, for sharing your professional knowledge and personal experiences with us. Now, Gina is the founder of One Day Company, and that's spelled O-N-E-D-E-I for diversity, equity, and inclusion. One Day Company is an innovative think tank with specialization in the training and development of how we educate minds in the 21st century. Echoing the words of the Lindsays from episode five, it is best if the work and the learning come from within your own organization. But if you would like some guidance with the process, contact one day company. You'll find the address and phone numbers on our show notes page. And be sure to check out, if you haven't already, episode five and bonus episode on cultural proficiency and microaggressions. Thank you so much for joining us for another CNUSD Ed Chat. See you later. If you would like to comment on their podcast, go to cnusd.k12.ca.us slash edchat and be sure to follow them on Twitter at CNUSD EdChat to let them know the topics you are interested in. This episode was produced by Kate Jackson, Ivy Eldridge, and Anne-Marie Cortez and edited by Kate Jackson and Ken Pucci. Hello, CNUSD EdChat listeners. Registration is now open for the CNUSD Literacy is Everywhere conference. This two-day conference features acclaimed keynote speakers, engaging breakout sessions, and great resources from our sponsors and vendors. And lunch is included. Please join us in Eastville, California at Eleanor Roosevelt High School on July 26th and 27th. This year's keynotes include literacy experts Byron V. Garrett, Allison Marchetti, Rebecca O'Dell, Carol Jago, and award-winning literacy advocate and co-author of Every Child a Super Reader, Pam Allen. For more information on how to register, check out our show notes page. We hope to see you this summer.